Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Wednesday, August the 22nd, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Your second daily dose of happy for the day and my second daily dose of Cindy for the day, which is great. I get to have Cindy twice in one day to talk to. That's really cool. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's always fun. The afternoon is really fun for me uh, because it's new to me. So Mm. it just, it's like a fun new thing. Yep. And because usually when we get finished with the morning podcast, we're like on a roll and then it's time to quit. And we still usually have a conversation mm-hmm. afterwards. And so it's just like a big continuation of, you know, what we started this morning. So that's right. always fun for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's why we entitled this particular show as a working title, Millions and Billions, which kind of, <laughs> it, it sounds like it's a, 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 a tribute to Carl Sagan for people who know who Carl Sagan is. Because right? he's known for his, for saying, in regard to the number of uh, galaxies out there, billions and billions. <laughs> right. Well, I wonder, that's, that's interesting, you know, when, if you just were to read Obviously, that's what you thought of, but mm-hmm. I wonder if people read the title Millions and Billions, what they think of immediately, mm-hmm. if they didn't know what we were talking about, right? That's true, because it doesn't have to necessarily be dollars or, or currency. It could be well, almost anything. Well, it's interesting. You brought it up a, a day or so ago about the number of millionaires that there are. Oh, God, yeah. Because it used to be, it was a real milestone that not many people hit, but, right. you know, inflation and everything many more people get there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many, do we know how many millionaires there are in the world or in the United States or? Well, I know it's in the millions. Let's see. I mean, I can do a quick calculation. <laughs> millions of millions of millions. That's right. Yeah. Millions. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> millions of millionaires. Well, if you hang on a second, actually, I can do a little quick calculation. I think it's an interesting if thing we, to know. If we assume that the top 5% are millionaires, that would mean there are quite a few of them, 15 and a half million (laughs) just here in the United States. You know, what's interesting to me is how many people still um, use that as a mark of like, in other words, mostly I coach people around general life coaching and around relationships. I don't bill myself as a money coach. I mean, there are money coaches out there and there are teachers and coaches that have written volumes about money Mm -hmm. from all different directions, right? Like spiritual books about money. And like I had a client recently ask me for recommendations for uh, books on finance with a spiritual kind of bent, which I, you know, I I have plenty of those that are on my top 10 book list that are great. And then there's books by people that work in the financial realm that can, you know, talk about investing and talk about all these different things. So there's a lot of different directions that we come to. Well, what surprises me still is how many people will list being a millionaire on a list of like, just a general question of like, what would you like to achieve? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what do you want to what do you want to create? People w- will often say, I want to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Sure. And of course, you know, the, the follow-up question is always t- to tell me more about that. I mean, what does that mean for you? Besides the fact that you would have a million dollars in the bank, um, what does it mean? What would it look like? Because of course, if we are not millionaires and we haven't been there yet, it, everybody's going to have a different idea of what that would look like in their own life. There's something deeper that's that's there, <laughs> right? I think so, yeah. And and part of it is, well, all, I would say all of it is emotionally based. Um, because, it, yep. I mean, if yes. you're not particular about it being dollars, you could be a millionaire right now. There, there are billionaires. Uh, the entire country are billionaires in Venezuela because they have a horrific inflation going on right now. So, Oh, right. You know? everybody who lives there is a billionaire (laughs) and it doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of being able to purchase anything, but uh, yeah, they're all billionaires. So, so what exactly does it mean? Well, until you hear they can't purchase anything with it, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, right. Well, what's interesting is 
that question, what does it mean? Because, you know, for some people, and especially years or decades ago, being a millionaire might have other meaning attached to it. Like it may mean that you are at the top of your field. Mm -hmm. Or it may mean that you're the most famous, I don't know, fill in the blank, right? Whatever you are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or it might mean that you're the best at something or that you own a lot of something, a lot of property, a lot of holdings, a lot of land, whatever, a landowner. Um, I mean, I think it probably had a lot of different meaning attached to it then than it does now. Oh, yeah. And so that's the, the really juicy question for someone that says, I want to be a millionaire is well, what does that mean to you? Because maybe for one person, it means living in the lap of luxury. And maybe for someone else, it means that they could contribute in a great way uh, financially. You know, I don't know. It's got to have different meanings. We, we read this morning that uh, J.K. Rowling, we know as a self-made billionaire from her Harry Potter series and franchise, and that she was listed as a billionaire and that now she has fallen off that the the article I read used the term I didn't use that term fallen off the billionaires list um, because she's given so much of her money away <laughs> so everybody has a different idea of what that would mean to them what they would do with that amount of wealth and I think it's all really interesting to dig into well plus I think it's also the case with Rowling that um, even if she has quote fallen off unquote the list of billionaires, she won't stay off. I mean, that Harry Franch- Harry Potter franchise is gold. It's going to produce income for years, for decades. I don't think right. she has any problem with that. So, you know, the, the movies, the books, everything, all the merchandise, all of that is just going to keep filling up her coffers. So she'll just bounce right back up to billionaire at some point. If, she won't have to do anything. It'll just happen. Well, and she's continuing to do something, right? She's continually she producing... Um, new work. And I think that's important too, is that we talked about this morning, we were talking about uh, Oprah Winfrey, we were talking about JK Rowling, different people who have, and and some of the people that you were mentioning that were in the tech field, and in the the man that invented that heart valve. Mm. Shiley, Donald Shiley. Yeah, yeah, like inventors and creatives and they're doing these things because they're inspired and because they love what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Not because I'm going to do this because I want to be a billionaire. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty certain that when uh, Rowling decided to start writing Harry Potter, she didn't do it because she figured she'd be a millionaire or even a billionaire or anything, any heir. (laughs) I mean, the only heir that she was hoping hoping to have heir like in a house of her own instead of having to live off of welfare. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that that's important to remember, too. And then the thing that we've been talking about that I just find really exciting is just the way we view wealth, the way we view money, are all of our stories that are probably conditioned because of things we heard when we were little kids, probably. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they still affect us today until we catch them. And that's the great thing. It's like any other limiting belief we have is the very first step to changing those is just awareness. And I don't think you always have to be aware of the specific beliefs as much as being aware of the beliefs you want to have and you want to choose. Yeah, well, I think that's true for anything. And just as true for wealth as anything else, really. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Rowling world, um, if, if we look at wealth in the Rowling world, one of the wealthiest families in that world were the Malfoys. Mm. <laughs> right? We were talking earlier about bad guy uh, yes. um, wealthy people. Well, yes. the Malfoy family was very, very wealthy and very, very bad. <laughs> they were the ultimate supporters of Lord Voldemort. Um, well, that's one of the first things I ever heard. I, 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 <laughs> I wasn't really even familiar yet with Law of Attraction. This might have been over 20 years ago. It was a sales trainer that I had that pointed out because she was trying to get her salespeople 
Of course, for her, she wanted them to make more sales, right? Right. And she wanted them not just to bring in more money for the company, but she wanted, I believe, that she wanted all of our success as salespeople uh, so that we could also be successful. And she's the one that pointed out to me, you know, the idea of stories that we tell about money and why energetically we might hold money away from us. And she said, have you ever noticed when you watch movies, a lot of the time, the villain is the the rich, <laughs> mm-hmm. the evil rich guy that lives in the giant mansion on the hill. And, and the hero, the good guy is struggling and poor. And, you know, he's the Aladdin, you know, who's the, the street rat. And it's like, oh, that just boom, opened up a whole world to me. And then I started seeing it everywhere. It's like, oh my goodness, almost every movie I watched after that, it's like, there it was. <laughs> there was the evil rich person. I was right. like, no wonder, no wonder we have these ideas. No wonder our subconscious tries to hold us away from money sometimes because we don't want to be that evil guy on the hill, right? Of course, Rowling also turns it on its ear too because um, early on in the first book, we find out, that Harry, who was raised by um, his parent, his mother's sister's family, and they they despise him, they treat him like crap, and so forth. So he basically is is that foundling. He's like that that street rat, right? Turns right. out he's wealthy as Croesus. When when uh, Hagrid takes him to the Wizard Bank, Gringotts, he finds out that he's got a vault full of gold. I mean, he's yes. like extremely uh-huh. wealthy, you know. And and he didn't have to wave a magic wand or anything. It was like boom, it's there. <laughs> But the other thing that's interesting to me about Rowling's world from a money perspective is she really gets the idea that money is emotion. That, that, and she deliberately um, pushes that idea because she makes the currency so difficult to understand that you give up. I mean, <laughs> you, you have three different kinds of currency in her world. There's galleons, gold galleons. There are silver sickles and bronze knuts. And there are 29 knuts to a sickle and 17 sickles to a galleon. That's impossible for the average person to calculate on the fly. <laughs> right. You know, so how do you make change? You know, you need a pocket calculator, you know, and maybe maybe a special <laughs> program to, to figure out what it is in dollars or something. You know, it, 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 it's such an insane system that no one ever takes the time to figure out, well, what does the currency actually add up to? You know, how much is that? How much to, what does it take to, to earn that kind of money? You, you can't even go there. She makes it impossible to do that. So, and, and when you look at it that way, money simply becomes something to be emotionally wrapped up about. And on the one hand, you have the Weasleys who are, you know, very dirt poor. It's very obvious. They, they squeak to get by. And it, it's very clear that they, they barely have two galleons to rub, to rub together. You know, there's not a whole lot of money there. Um, on the other hand, you got Harry, who's very, very wealthy. And not only that, he wins a, a Triwizard Tournament on, in book four. So now he's even wealthier, except he hands that off to the Weasley twins so they can go off and do their, their chocolate shop, right? That, that's our understanding of money. Money in the, in the uh, Potter universe is about what feeling is going to be associated with it. It's all about the emotion. Well, here's what I think is interesting, too, what you said about it turns out, right? It's like Harry doesn't know that he's wealthy. Right. And he goes to the bank and he finds out there's all this gold. He finds out it's just been sitting there all along. And I feel like that's a great metaphor, not not necessarily even for money, but just for the good things that are ready for us. Yeah, like his fault is the vortex, right? Yes, exactly. Like everything that we want is often right on the other side of that wall of resistance that we've put up. It's mm-hmm. like, it's already there. Right. But we don't see it because we're too busy focusing on the lack of it. Too busy focusing on, you know, what is. Then to focus on the vision of what we want, which is already there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really a great analogy of that. It is. It's a good analogy. And, and add in the fact that, when you look at Harry's vault, you, I mean, you know that there are three coins, right? There, there, there's the gold coins, the silver coins, and the bronze coins. The galleons, the sickles, and the, and the knuts. And yet, when you look at Harry's vault, in the movie anyway, all you see is gold. You don't see a whole pile of silver coins. <laughs> there's no huge pile of bronze coins. They're all gold. <laughs> oh, that's funny. See, now I want to watch them all again. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's only fitting. I used to reread all the books over and over again. I think I've read them all about five times. <laughs> They're so great. They're really great. They're a great escape, and, too. That's what I really loved about them. It, 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 it's a way to get away from the stuff that frustrated me in, in my own life, you know, distract myself, so to speak. They're, they're, they're wonderful for that. Yeah, well, I'm I'm always excited about anything new that she does because she's definitely uh, a genius at at her craft and any kind of thing that you can do where you you know it's interesting is that as an artist or a creator of any kind um when you lose track of time when you're creating it i mean that's one of the hallmarks of inspiration mm -hmm. is just losing track of time and I feel like as the consumer of those things, that happens to me. I mean, mm -hmm. I can lose track of time losing myself in a book like that. Right, sure. And now that I think about it, it's almost like it's all part of the same inspiration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's one of the things that inspires me the most is looking at things that are beautiful. Um, whether it's nature, whether it's going to an art museum. Um, and I always know when I've really, really enjoyed something like that, because when I'm done with it, I want to go create something. Mm, yeah. I want to write right. or I want to paint or whatever. Yeah. That's true. And, you know, those things like in my own life, here's what I think. I, I don't ever think about making money with those things well i'm not gonna say i never think about it i do think about it but it's never it's never the um the motivation but i think that the way money is connected to it it has to do with something completely separate and that's our own money story meaning like what? money well meaning like our money's money is going to make its way to us when we're open and accepting of it and we have a good relationship with it and our own money story is good. Um, however, we don't have to figure out a specific channel. We just have to have some channels. Oh yeah. Well, I think Rowling is a good example of that because as the movies were being made, she was also writing the books. Now she wasn't done with the series by the time they started doing the first movie. And right. you know, so she's being an advisor on the set and she's writing the books and the money is pouring in. I mean, it, it's filling up her coffers, but she she doesn't even she doesn't hardly take time to even do anything with it. It's if she's interviewed about it, you know, she's vague about, you know, what's it feel like and so forth. And I think it's because she just doesn't really give herself the time to process it. She's far too busy writing the story that she has had in her head for years now. At that point in time, she already knows how the whole thing's going to play out. She knows what's happening in each one of the books. And in fact, she's advising the the um, actors. You know, the actors are in like, uh, you know, the uh, the Chamber of Secrets book, too. They're, they're doing the second movie and she's advising them to, well, you know, this your character would do this, but your character wouldn't do that because she knows that in book six, that character is going to right. do something that would that would basically turn that whole thing around. You know, she's got right. it mapped out that far ahead. And when, when you've got mapped out that far ahead, all you can focus on is getting it down on paper and then working with the movie crew. You don't have time for anything else. Yeah, definitely when you have that much creative energy like pouring through you. And that's I guess that's what I'm saying is that the money that comes into our life is connected to our money story. And somehow it, it makes its way to us mm -hmm. when we're open. But the inspiration that we have it may be to make money, but it may be to create something else entirely different. Somehow they connect. Yeah, I think it's noteworthy that she was as blown away as anybody at how successful the franchise was. Well, my goodness. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's not an average success. <laughs> Especially when you consider that <clears throat> she was re rejected by a bunch of publishers who were all convinced that there was no market for children's books. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Well, that's something that's been going on um, lately in the in social media is a, a hashtag, share your rejections. <laughs> that's good. I and like that. it's a lot of writers and, you know, creators, actors, whatever, sharing the stories about 
how many times they've been rejected or certain like I there was one a woman that posted that she had she had sent a story to a magazine or something and and um it got rejected and a year later the editor like wrote to her saying I still think about that essay that you sent or article whatever it's like I that you sent us a year ago could you resend it mm. and she resent it and they said Oh, now we remember why we rejected it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so they rejected it twice. <laughs> a lot of these people are very successful now, right? And the thing that they keep saying is that, you know, I mean, you just keep going and you just keep creating because you love to create and you just keep putting it out there mm-hmm. and everybody gets rejections. And actually, they were really uplifting to read it sounds like it'd be terrible right it's like hey want a list read a list of all these people that have been rejected how Mm -hmm. awful but but actually it was really uplifting to read because you know it's so hopeful sure like we don't have to worry about one thing or another that we do that's not accepted or doesn't bring in money or someone rejects it just just keep going in fact one of the more interesting and slightly bizarre stories of somebody who got rejected was an actress from the 1940s. Most uh, young people probably have never heard of her. You probably have, uh, Cindy. Her name was Hedy Lamarr. Do you know? Do you yes. remember that name? Hedy yes, Lamarr. She wasn't just an actress. She wasn't. That's the point. Exactly. She was an inventor too. Right. She invented. Didn't she invent something that like has to do with uh, like Wi-Fi or something now? Exactly right. Yeah. What, okay. what what she invented at the time? She invented it during World War II. And for those who know their World War II history, during the war, the German submarines were basically sinking almost every ship that the Americans were trying to send over to, to the British with supplies and food and so forth to help them survive the Blitz and the and the wars that followed. Um, and it was, a, it was a real big problem. Part of the problem was that the, the German submarines were quite superior to anything that the Allies had. And the Allies' submarines, their, their missiles you know, would miss the target when they were aiming at a, a German submarine for a variety of reasons, mainly because they could be outmaneuvered by the Germans. Um, so they were basically useless. Well, she was thinking about it and saying, you know, all they really need to do is they need to figure out a way to guide the missile to hit the submarine. It, well, we, that's like normal today, right? But that was not right. heard of at that point in time. And she invented a way of accomplishing that through what she called frequency hopping. Why frequency hopping? Well, what the, what she was proposing is when you shoot a, a when you shoot a torpedo you have a built-in radio transmitter that you're able to transmitter and receiver that you're able to interact with and send it signals about you know where to guide it well the problem on the face of that theory is if the germans have a radio jammer they could jam that signal by basically you know throwing up a wall of noise so to speak and it wouldn't be able to get through so it, it still wouldn't work. They wouldn't be able to guide it to its target. But her idea was just like with um, on radio waves, there are different frequencies. Like you know, on FM, there's ninety four point one and there's ninety six point seven. Those are all different frequencies. Well, yeah. she was thinking, what would happen if you kept hopping from one frequency to the other with your signal, so that oh. you couldn't jam? So you couldn't be jammed. You couldn't oh, be jammed, wow. which was a brilliant idea. Now, the, yep. the other problem was they had to figure out how to actually make that happen because they didn't have microcircuitry <laughs> that wasn't available as an option. And um, what she and uh, I think it was, I can't remember if it was a husband or a friend because she was married a few times. I think it was one of her husbands um, was a musician who had experience with player pianos. And his idea was with a player piano, of course, you have that piano roll, right? And you have the little right. slits in it that determine which keys are going to be pressed by the piano. Well, if you had the equivalent of two identical rolls, one, so to speak, and, and this is more hypothetical than anything, one in the ship that is that is shooting the torpedo and one in the, the, the torpedo itself, that way they could track. If they're both turning at the same time, they could both track which frequency they're jumping to. So the wow. only people who would know would be the people who shot the torpedo and the torpedo itself. The enemy wouldn't be able to do anything about that, which was a brilliant concept. She Really, really inspired. <laughs> isn't that something? Yeah. Well, she took that idea to the War Department, and the War Department's reaction literally was, you want us to put a player piano in a torpedo? Yeah, get out of here. 
that was the extent of their appreciation of it. But they kept the, the thing and they put it away and they, they uh, put a, a, a secrecy shield around it. So basically it became top secret. About 15 years after the war, somebody discovered it in the archives and they used it to create the first guided missiles. Wow. And all this That's time, amazing. all this time, she didn't even know that they were using it. In fact, they because she had a patent that expired, I believe, in 1959, the U.S. government really should have reimbursed her for oh. having used her idea, and they never did, which is mm. really a shame. But like you said, this same concept of frequency hopping is how a Wi-Fi works, because with a Wi-Fi, you can have any number of devices connecting in. Well, they can't all use the same wavelength. Right. Now, if, if you and I both try to connect to a Wi-Fi device, we have to come in on different wavelengths. Otherwise, we're going to interfere with each other. So a Wi-Fi basically is a way of connecting in each person coming in on a different wavelength that gets determined by the Wi-Fi device. Same concept. So interesting. And while you're talking about it, I keep thinking about frequencies and yes. vibrations <laughs> <Yes>. and <laughs> hopping around with that. Mm -hmm. And it's just everything is energy. And it's so interesting to see how we shift and how we align. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really an interesting story. And I think a thing that not a lot of people know about Hedy Lamar. Um, I, when you say her name, I just immediately have this picture of her face um, because she was uh, this glamorous, beautiful movie star. Mm -hmm. And that's the persona that I think most people know of her. Which is actually an improvement because during her career, it was more than that. She was also the slut of the movies, which was the way she was portrayed. That was the way the movie studios decided to sell her. That that there there are some actresses who are the, the beautiful girl next door and there are others who are the slut. And she was going to be sold as the slut. Yeah, well. <laughs> but that's what happened. That's exactly what yeah. happened. Fortunately, and that yes, has, that has changed over, over the years. So now she's just the glamorous movie star. So it, thankfully, it's been, a, yes. it's been a, a fortuitous transition. But yes. to me, that and just now we know also that she was like a genius inventor. So. Well, she was. That's well, Her life is amazing. I mean, she had obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. I mean, she was a native of Europe, of, I believe of Germany. She, is, she was a, a, of Jewish extraction, so she was escaping Nazism when she came to this country. Um, that's Amazing. Not, that, that, you, don't, you, you hear Hedy Lamar. Where's, where's the Jewish in that? Well, she changed the name, obviously. But yeah. nevertheless, that was her background. And here she is. She comes to a, a country. She is completely um, loyal to our country. She, she served in the USO. That, actually, that's what the people at the War Department told her to do. She says, you know, in, in typical male chauvinist, you know, dismissing of a female kind of thing, you know, leave the war making to the experts. Why don't you go off and join the USO where you can be useful and sell war bonds? And, and she did. Oh, my goodness. She actually did and did it extremely successfully. I believe I, I can't remember the exact number, but I believe she sold by today's money the equivalent of well over $150 million worth of war bonds. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And I was I was actually thinking when we were first talking about her story and, and her being an inventor, um, I knew that story, but I didn't know the big detail that they didn't that they filed it away. They did, yeah, they rejected said, it. I didn't know that part. Yeah. And and so as you were telling that part, I was like, uh-huh, I bet if she would have been a man they wouldn't have filed it away. Well, I'm sure it would have handled differently. Yeah, that, there's yeah. not much, much doubt about that. Yeah. What's really, really yeah. interesting to me about her whole story is what she had to say at the end of her life. Because she had one incident after another where she was beaten down, dismissed, um, actually screwed out of uh, stuff that should've, she should have earned, that, that should have been hers. I mean, stuff taken away from her by the country that she had declared her loyalty to. I mean, she, over and over and over, she just kept, I, I probably attracting in some way, but I don't know how. But the point is, she just kept getting all this really, really bad stuff happening to her. But her philosophy, her philosophy, as expressed at the end of her life, was you when you go through life, Go at it with gusto. When you have an uh, an inspiration, follow your inspiration. You're going to get beaten down. You're going to get beaten down. You're going to get beaten down. Do it anyway. Nah. And I thought, it's whoa, do it anyway. I mean, oh my goodness. Wow. It's interesting to think about 
that experience that her that she had that would bring those words up right that 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 would be her sort of credo at the end of her life um and it makes me curious about her upbringing and the the wisdom that she learned from her elders and her other you know she, whoever she, guided her through life she didn't get a lot that's what that's what's so amazing about her she had the most incredible life despite the fact that she had every disadvantage every step along the way i mean just the fact that she was escaping nazi germany like that's enough oh yeah all by itself <laughs> That's big enough. I don't want to have to go through anything close to that. No, no. That plus a bunch of other rejection and a bunch of other, you know, being beaten down. So. But that's why I'm so astonished and and so impressed by her philosophy. Despite going all through all that, she says, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Oh, my goodness. What perseverance. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that. I think sometimes... We don't have the perseverance that we could have. You know what I oh, mean? I don't. I, I can't even like, come close to matching hers. Yeah, I mean sometimes, and you know, I I probably differ a little bit from some people's opinions on this regarding law of attraction. But I, some parts of life are hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and as much as I like my motto to be easy peasy and let it be easy. Um, I adopted that let it be easy because it's a a reminder to myself to not make it harder than it already is sometimes. Mm. Because I think we do that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just, we're, we're here. We're here having lots of experiences and some of them are uncomfortable. And some of them can be really, really hard. And we learn things from that. Mm-hmm. We do. I think that those things shape who we are. And I don't want to go through too many of them. Um, but I look at my life and I look at the hard things that I've been through. And there's always been a treasure in those things after the fact. I've always gained wisdom from them. And also been able to help other people who are going through things similar to things I've been through. Mm. So I think that, you know, I don't discount all those things. No, now, I they, know we have, they matter. I know I saw a post that um, now I'm not, now I can't remember who made it, but one of our co-hosts um, about helping other people not have to go through the consequences of, their actions. Oh. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Oh, I wish I could remember it. He was, it might've been Joel. It, it, it wouldn't surprise he, me. Joel's prolific and he has all kinds of stuff that he puts up there and that would be right in his wheelhouse. So it, it, I, I will bet that it's Joel. I think it was. And he was just saying that when we go through struggles that we learn more than any other time, you know, so right. or I'm paraphrasing. He might correct me, but it was interesting. I thought, huh, that's interesting. Um, just the thought of choosing not to help somebody we care about avoid some consequence. Mm, yeah. Right. Because as a mom and I, and I do think that that has something to do with it. Um, I mean, just because mothers are, it's hardwired into us to protect our young. Right. <laughs> right? Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so we can get into a place where we really do want to protect our loved ones mm -hmm. from the consequences of their own actions. Understandably. And, yeah. And, you know, hey, I have to, I, I can probably say that we've all had a time in our life where we're really thankful that somebody helped us <laughs> in that same way. Yep. But at the same time, a lot of times, like you were talking about Hedy Lamar, not having, no, not having this, the guidance and support and, that some of us have had and some of us don't have. And I think it's the times that we don't have it, that we find that inner strength. And I think that's exactly what happened too. Hedy Lamar was an incredibly strong woman incredibly strong person 
who was able to weather anything that life threw at her and to do it with grace and style. I mean, she was just incredibly strong and, and way ahead of her time on so many different levels, more than we could possibly recount here. But uh, I think she has like several patents or something. She was quite the inventor. She was an artist. I mean, she had oh, wow. she had her feet in so many different pots. It was just uh, so many different things that she was doing. I mean, so here's a question because of what we've been talking about the last couple of days. Was she a millionaire? I don't know. I I would imagine that she. I know that there were parts in her life where she did not have a lot of money, including a couple of times in the '40s where she was raising her two kids by herself, and her her ex husband wasn't helping at all, and she was weathering that storm very very well. Did she ever achieve millionaire status? I don't know. I know that when, that she did well later on, but I don't know how well. Well, what? How? What year did she die? Hmm. When did she die? Um, I don't know. I have to look that up. I'm. I'm going to guess 50s, it's going to be sixties. I'm going to guess it's in the sixties, but I don't know for sure. Because I'm thinking to myself, you know, we're talking fifty years ago. Just, I mean, I'm just, you know, spitballing. Oh, here. way off. She died in January two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. I would think it would be in the sixties or seventies. So she must have been fairly old <laughs> at that point. She was eighty six. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so she, I think she was younger than I thought. Um, I was just going to say, during the time I think of her, which might have been in the 50s, right, um, or the 60s, it was a bigger deal to be a millionaire. Oh, yeah. Oh, by a lot. So a lot of the people that we think of, like now, if we can probably think of most people in the entertainment business, because that's why I think of her. She was an actress, entertainer. It's we don't think anything of knowing that an entertainer or an you know a famous actor or musician, if we found out they were a millionaire, we don't think much of that. Mm. Right? True. I mean, you agree? Yeah. You know, you think of somebody that's really famous and had a lot of hit movies or hit music, and someone says to you, Did you know they're a millionaire? You'd be like, Well, I <laughs> kind of <laughs> assumed it. But I don't think we can always make that assumption of people that were famous in the 50s or 60s. I think you're right. And I I, I guess if I had to guess, I'm going to guess, no, she was not a millionaire. She probably should have been. <laughs> she should have been, for sure, especially just off of that one patent that she had. Right. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm going to guess that she was never a millionaire. That, uh, uh, well, actually, you know, here, here's a really interesting one. And it's kind of a sad thing. In 1966, she was arrested in Los Angeles for shoplifting. The charges Probably. were dropped. She was arrested mm. on the same charge in Florida. But what was really interesting is when she was picked up, she had all kinds of money in her pocket. Figure that one out. I don't. I mm. still don't understand that one. She had plenty of money to buy whatever it was that she was picked up for. Well, you never know. It could be senility or, you know... Yeah, but 1966, off. she was in her early 50s. I have so, no idea. Yeah, I don't know either. It, it's one of those, all I can think is, and this is the way I would make sense out of it. She had so many things happen to her. Oh, and she was a millionaire. Oh, I've got proof of it right here. Her estate yeah. when she died was $3.3 .3 million. Okay. So she did make it to a millionaire status. But... um Considering all that she went through, and she went through incredible amounts of horrible stuff nobody should have to go through. When you consider all that, if if she had a breakdown, so to speak, if she had a, a, a moment of weakness where you know she just did something stupid, <laughs> I give her, I'll, I'll easily give her a, a release on that one. Like, you know, you, you basically you came from nothing, and you were oh, and, and she was Austrian; she was not German. Um, you came from Austria where you and and you were basically running away from an abusive marriage among other things, but you were also running away from the Nazis and the Nazis. <laughs> you were running from, you were running away from the Nazis. Um, you come to the United States where you, you you clearly have what it takes to become a film star, but Louis B. Mayer treats you terribly, despite the fact that you're making him huge amounts of money. Um, you're you go through one marriage after another where your exes also treat you badly and you you invent a way to uh help 
the Allies win the war and you get rejected for it, and then they steal your idea and turn it into something really, really uh, powerful for the U.S. defense, but you don't get rewarded for it. I mean, it's just like one thing after another that she went through. So if at the end of that, they, they have a little shoplifting thing, I'm saying, hey, I'm okay with that. That's fine. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> well, she, it, it she's makes... way beyond deserving a, you know, a free lunch on that one. You know, the thought that I come up with with that, I mean, and no one will know, and how can you figure that out? But she's obviously um, of a keen intellect and oh, a, a genius inventor, yeah. brilliantly smart, and she's a multimillionaire. Yep. Um, so something was wrong or off. You know, there was something that just wasn't functioning correctly. It had to be. Yeah, and and as far as I'm concerned, it's not a big deal. By comparison of everything that she gave, it's not a big deal at all. It doesn't amount to anything. It's sad to think about, though, that, you know, that she wasn't more recognized. But, you know, it goes back to that idea of, and yeah, I, I realize not everyone believes this, but that the choices that we make when we incarnate. Mm-hmm. We make choices, I believe, anyway, that it's possible. I choose to believe this. I have no proof, uh, but it it helps me <laughs> with my own thought process, is that we make certain choices to experience certain things. I don't know why. And some, also, of, them are, are, some of them are hard. <laughs> well, they are, yeah. And, and also, one of the, uh, the good sides in terms of her getting her due, I mean, so often this is a big thing in, his, in history, right? Artists, especially, who don't get their due until after they passed on. Well, that's right. also happened in this case, but it's happening mainly because of the newfound freedom that technology has given the film industry so that independent film is a gigantic thing. It, it was non-existent back in her day, but today it's huge. True. And as, as a result, an independent film was recently made. Uh, about the life of Hedy Lamar. That's how I found out about all this stuff by seeing this oh, film. Oh wow! Yeah. So you're rec- are, do you recommend it? Yeah, yeah. It's a good film. Um, I, I believe it was a made-for-TV film, but still, okay. it, it's, it's a very, very good film. And and you you see a lot of footage of her. You hear her talking. You hear her being interviewed. You hear people who knew her being interviewed. Her children uh, give their take on her, and everybody basically comes to the same conclusion of what a remarkable human being she was. Well, that's amazing. I love documentaries and mm. I love biographies. And while we were talking about her, I was thinking to myself, oh, I, I would love to read her biography or if she, I don't know if she wrote a memoir, but um, this, this is even better. Yeah. Yeah. A documentary or a, a film. And in fact, and, uh, we, we were talking yeah. earlier about um, doing the, you know, basically doing biographies of famous wealthy people so that we can develop in our own. Uh, in our own conversations and in our thought processes and so forth, the idea that there are a lot of positives associated with people. There are a lot of good people who became wealthy and and that we can change our perception about what wealth really is and, and not be limited to, you know, well, Donald Trump is wealth and we don't like Donald Trump. So therefore wealthy is bad or, you know, the uh, the hero of the Harry Potter series is a bad guy named Malfoy or whatever. You know, yeah, they're not all Malfoys. They're not. Not even close. Actually, the majority aren't. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's just a snapshot of people. Right. I mean, we're ju- we're just all people. And the majority of people, I don't believe, are ill-intended. You know, I don't believe are evil or bad. or um, I don't believe that about the majority of people. I believe that the majority of people um, have good intentions and are well-meaning and want to have uh, a positive impact and want to live a good life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, here's another one. I mean, this is another uh, biopic that we saw, Louise and I saw, we saw it just last night, Betty White. Betty White oh, has been around for her. decades, and she's loved by millions. She is a, a, a multimillionaire, um, and she has this tremendous history. She's also, in my opinion, a terrific poster person for the law of attraction because of her incredibly positive attitude. I mean, she is one of the most positive people I've ever seen on the screen. Right? I love her. She just, um, she kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? She just exudes, like, positivity and happiness and Absolutely. joy. Yeah, yeah. And and interestingly enough, not all the characters that she plays are positive people. But she still manages 
to in some way insert her positivity into the characters. Not that she makes the characters positive people, but she uses her positivity to give life to the characters. And the life comes out in a variety of different ways. I mean, Sue Ann Niven, right? The character that she played in the Mary Tyler Moore show was not exactly right. the most positive person. She was like a, no. <laughs> a, a a sickly sweet positive person, but she was also she was pretty much of a gold bricker and a manipulator, really. When you come down to it, <laughs> that's funny. I mean, I, whenever I see her in an interview or anything, I I immediately smile. Yeah, yeah. So they've made a film about her. Yeah, yeah. We just saw that last night. Louise uh, taped it on or recorded it on DVR from one of the cable channels. I'm not sure where it was. But, uh, yeah, a really good one, too. I recommend it. All right. Yeah. Well, and the the latest one that I saw was the Ruth Bader Ginsburg biopic. Oh, really? It's called RBG, and it's fabulous. And I know they're making a movie about her life, but this was a biopic. So it's it's her, you know, and and her story Mm -hmm. and talk about uplifting and amazing, an amazing person that has been through like survived cancer twice. Mm. And uh, um, just her whole life has been amazing. And I think that it's important, you know, that we be inspired by other people's stories. Oh, I think other people's stories are inspiring. I was so inspired after we saw that film. Like I was walking on air afterwards. Mm, How nice. Yeah. And so isn't that important to our vibration? Well, it's important to this podcast. I mean, what is is it I've been talking about since you came on board, right? We need to tell stories. We need to tell better feeling stories. We need to do it regularly. Yeah. 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 Well, it's important. And true stories. Yes. Because they're the easiest ones to latch on to. If they're true... Even if they're they're wacky, even if they're wild, just the fact that they're <laughs> true gives them like a, an emotional credibility that a fictional story doesn't have. Well, I think that what happens is when we hear someone's story that may, yes, it may well indeed include struggle. Oh, yeah. Because that's part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. But when we hear about someone's story and we hear about their struggle and we hear about their victory, right, over it. And we hear about their wins and the great things that they've experienced and contributed. It can't help but lift us up and make us hopeful and bring us to a place where we believe. I mean, this is all really important to what we create. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe that you can create change, if you don't believe that you can create something beautiful if you don't believe you can create wealth if you don't believe you can create you know a happy marriage or a healthy body well then you won't be able to true and and the easiest way i know to start believing that that you can is to hear other people's stories that have done it i mean that's what that's really what mentoring is all about right is finding someone who has done what you want to do and can guide you and help you yeah, that's a good point. I, that really is what mentoring is. Normally, I, I guess I think of mentoring as you know having somebody who's knowledgeable teaching me something. But really, you're right. The biggest part of it is what what are their stories? What stories can they share that I'm going to learn from? Right. I mean, you always have admired. I think talked about admiring Jack Canfield. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the most important things that he brings to the table is his ability to communicate story yeah he's a good storyteller he's a very good storyteller he showed that in the secret that was that was the first time i'd ever actually heard jack canfield speak was in his his appearance in the secret and he he made a big impression on me in that movie i mean the movie itself made an impression on me for obvious reasons but his particular cameo appearance in that movie really struck me like he he i don't remember exactly what he said but he he was talking about how People have struggles in life, just like you were talking about. And he says everybody has some version of, you know, like what he had. He had, uh, uh, I, I guess it was his his father was real tight on money and had all these famous sayings like money doesn't grow on trees. What do I look like? Rockefeller, <laughs> you know, all this other stuff. And and then he follows it up by saying everybody has some version of that. But what that amounts to is who cares? 
And I'm thinking, yeah. wow, what an interesting philosophy. Yeah, we have all these things <laughs> happen to us, but who cares? And and from what I know, I mean, I I've I don't know Jack Canfield, but I have friends that know him personally and have worked with him and worked for him and um he's the real deal. Mm. Yeah, he is. Just he's... a real genuine, you know, person and his his stories are are his stories and I think that's important. You know, that's so funny. I was laughing because when you were saying money doesn't grow on trees and what do I look like <laughs> Rockefeller? I was right. like, oh my goodness. Like most of us have heard some version of oh, that. Oh, of course. Yes. Oh, I, and of course, I always tell myself, gosh, I hope my kids haven't heard some version <laughs> of that from me. Oh, if I, I, I don't have kids, but if I had had kids, I'm sure they would have heard it from me just because <laughs> I picked it up from my parents. I picked it up from yeah. my father in particular. And, yeah. and to this day, I, I still show signs of it and it gets me in trouble. I mean, I actually, I actually mess myself up because I, I keep playing those tapes in the background in my head. But uh, yeah. you know, the, the good news is that regardless of what our history is, regardless of whether or not we've heard that kind of stuff, we're the ones who are turning it around. I mean, we're, you and I, we're deliberate creators. We are learning yeah. how to be deliberate creators. And in doing that, we are the ones who are ending that generational pass along of poverty consciousness. Yes. Yes, that is exciting. It is. And so important. And that's why I think it's so important that, you know, especially right now, I mean, and when I say right now, I mean, like this week, you know, we turn on the news and all we're hearing about corruption, we're hearing about, and, and so much of it is connected to money Oh yeah, and a, and a money story, right? And that sort of like seeps into how we view money and people that have extreme wealth and it's so important for us to look at other people that's just a small amount of people it is yeah, they're, they're so actually the minority that, that that's what makes them yeah. the news it's newsworthy because it's so unusual that's why it's so important that we do the research and find these other stories that inspire us to be open to have a different story about money. Well, I, I told you before the podcast that I'd wanted to do some research and I hadn't had a chance to do that. that that's actually not completely true. Sounded because... to me like you did research. I was like, uh, oh, <laughs> but you watch that biopic and see what happens. Yeah, but that, that was over the last few days, so I could easily remember that one. No, that, that wasn't the research <laughs> that I did. No, actually what I did was um, I connected into our local library online through the catalog there, and I was looking for biographies on famous wealthy people because I figured, why not try to find some of these biographies and then you know, get a hold of the book, read relevant passages, and maybe make them be the basis of podcasts. I love it. Right? So, if, yeah. I mean, if we're going to tell a better-feeling story about money – why not begin by telling about the real stories? And in order to do that, we have to find out what they are. So I'm going to find out what they are. So I've already uh, put some uh, hold requests on like a half dozen books. And I'm sure in the next day or two, the library is going to be contacting me and saying, oh, we got your book and come and pick it up. You got three days. <laughs> oh, well, give us a little hint and a little taste of of who we're studying about. <laughs> oh, who did I reach out for? Uh, well, I, I was basically just going through lists, you know, whoever grabbed my attention. So... Um, I found something on an early biography on Steven Spielberg. Um, I found one on the founders of the Whole Foods supermarket chain. Um, let's see, who else have I looked for? I found a, a few in the tech sector that I have uh, put holds on, or I'm not sure if I put, put holds on all of them, but who I at least you know expressed interest in. Um, I found one on Ralph Lauren because I mentioned Ralph Lauren, I think, in this morning's podcast. Um, I figured that might be an interesting one. I mean, just whoever I was, I, I, I didn't spend a lot of time. We're talking like, you know, five minutes worth of work. <laughs> this was not a big endeavor. I didn't have time to do a whole lot more than that. Yeah. But, but it was whoever I could find in, in five or 10 minutes of doing it. But you know what's interesting? And I recognize that I was talking to somebody earlier about something and I was like, yeah, that was back in the day when we didn't have, you know, Google. Oh, um, yeah Some research that I was doing. I used to go to the library so much that mm. the librarian was convinced that I was writing a book. Um, she's like, you must be writing a book because I would check out so many things that were sort of academic and I'd walk out with 10 books and come back in two days and get 10 more. Wow. Um, it's funny because I did end up writing a book, but it, not about that. That was just personal study, right? But mm -hmm. now we have like 
access to so much information right at our fingertips. It's well, amazing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's why and, I don't think there's any excuse for not doing the research. I mean, I only had 10 minutes, but all I needed was an internet connection and I could do my research in 10 minutes and then I could go on to whatever it is I had to do next. Right. But the thing that I thought was great was that you mentioned like a, a list of people that are millionaires or billionaires and you said, oh, well, I mean, I just, I only had like five minutes. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that right there tells us about, you know, you didn't go looking for a list of evil billionaires. No. Nope. <laughs> right? Wasn't even interested in that. Right. So <laughs> no snidely whiplashes you know, on my list. <laughs> so no Malfoys. No Malfoys. <laughs> so people that, people that have much wealth and are doing many good things they're easy to find they are yeah they're not a rarity yeah it's i didn't a, i didn't have to look real hard that, yeah. that that was the real lesson there it was pretty simple really i yeah. mean for anyone who wants to do the same thing that i did literally i had you know how you can put tabs in your browser <laughs> so i had one tab for amazon one tab for my library browser and one tab for Wikipedia. So I could look at the Wikipedia list of wealthy people, check Amazon to see if there was a book there I liked. If I found the book that I liked, go to my uh, library and see if they had that book. If they did, put a hold on it. That was my method. <laughs> so I, I just love that that this isn't a hard story to find. No, it's not. It's easy. That we're like, you know, we've been searching and searching for wealthy people that do good things and we just we're having a hard time finding them. No, we're not. There's, we're just <laughs> we're not looking for the most part. <laughs> I mean, finding out wealthy people who do good things in the world is not a difficult thing. It's not. And that, we're going to do it. It's going to be an easy story for us to change. It is. It's going to be very easy to change, and it's going to be a fun one because we are going to do podcasts on these. In fact, so I, I encourage you to do the same thing. <laughs> find some books too. In between the two of us, we're going to yeah. we're, we're going to find a whole bunch of them. We've got we have enough material now for the next two years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready because I am really ready to change my story about money. That's. A good I mean, thing. it's something I've been working on for quite a while, mm -hmm. but just this week, recognizing that I have been the beneficiary every single day of some, you know, generosity that was put out there by a wealthy people mm. um, has been kind of an eye opener. Yeah. And yeah. I encourage, I encourage you to look and pay attention in that way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like when you're out and about, like today I was, I was walking and I took a walk and on my walk, I walked by, um, this huge building where they do a lot of charity work. It's a beautiful building. And I thought to myself, there you go. Right. Mm -hmm. there Besides is another the example. fact that I was thankful on my walk, I was like actually verbalizing, you know, I'm thankful for, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful for architecture. I'm thankful for paved roads. Yeah. I'm thankful for all these beautiful little trees that were planted right here right. on the side of this street. I yeah. mean, and all of that is connected to money. It is. Yeah. In one way or another, it's connected to generosity or it's connected to taxes or it's connected to money in some way. Some form. And it all provides something that I'm enjoying. So That's I right. think it's a, a great thing to remind ourselves of in the process of changing our story about money. Excellent reminder. Well, we, we have less than a minute left and I, I have to get messages in, in, so I'll do it really quickly. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe, go to the homepage of LOAToday.net. If you haven't sent out tweets or Facebook posts, including LOAToday.net in them, do that, please. And that's the messages for the day because I don't have any more time. Cindy, <laughs> really quickly, how does somebody reach you? We got five seconds. How does somebody reach you? Oh, my you? goodness. CindyChavez.com. There Link you go. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. I look forward to talking about it next week and doing our first biopic next week. Yes. Sounds good. Okay. And we hope that you'll come by next time as well here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.